Well, because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. Hear then the word of the Lord. When they came to the disciples, this is Jesus, Peter, James, and John coming down from the mountain of transfiguration. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. All of a sudden, when the crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. Then he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Out of the crowd, one man answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, verse 19, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought him to Jesus. When the spirit saw him, it immediately convulsed the boy. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said to him, If you can, if you can, everything is possible to the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out shrieking and convulsing him violently. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and he stood up. After he went into a house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. Some other transcripts, less reliable, also add, and fasting. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for reminding us through this story that you are powerful over demons. We thank you for reminding us that we need more faith and that we have a lot of unbelief in our lives. We thank you for reminding us from the reading of this passage that we need to pray. Thank you for this glimpse of Jesus Christ. You have told us very clearly in your word that apart from you, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. And I know we say that often, Father, but help us to feel it right now. That apart from you, Lord Jesus, we can't hear your word with any fruitfulness. We can't hear it in any way that will transform our hearts individually or as a church family. And I can't preach in any way that would be effective apart from your Holy Spirit's power. So, Father, would you please come and help us, needy, desperate saints who are also sinners. Help us, Lord, draw near to us, have mercy on us. 
and speak your word to us. Guard our minds from error. Guard our minds from distraction. Guard our minds from lies and false thoughts. And give us life in your ways. If there's any who aren't Christian here, we pray that you would save them. And we pray in the children's class that as they hear the gospel even this morning, that you would save our children by faith in Christ and repentance from sins. So help us now, we pray, God. In Jesus' name, amen. When something that is supposed to grow doesn't grow, questions arise. My daughter just turned two and a half this month. My youngest daughter turned two and a half this month. And that was great. We got to say happy half birthday to her. If she was the same size as Adoniah, who's three months, four months, four months now, Adoniah there in the back. If she was the same size as Adoniah, who's only four months old, we might be concerned, wouldn't we? If she's two and a half and she's the size of a four month old, not only would we be concerned, you as our church family would also be concerned that the child is not growing the way the child is supposed to be growing. I wonder if we show similar concern for ourselves and for other Christians when they don't grow. When they get stuck in a spiritual rut or a spiritual ditch, not for just a month or two months, but for one year or three years or five years or ten years. Do we have the same alarm that goes off? Something is wrong with your child, PJ. She's not growing the way she's supposed to. You need to take her to a doctor. Do we have the same alarm when there's a lack of spiritual growth in our lives and in the lives of those around us in our church family. God wants to address our growth in faith this morning. Not just faith in general, as a lot of people say in our culture today, I'm a person of faith. I'm not interested in you just being a person of faith. We're interested in you trusting in Jesus Christ as he is revealed in the Bible. God cares for us as a father, and he wants us to grow in faith Namely, faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, which leads us to repentance from sin and repentance from even our own self-righteousness, as we'll hear tonight from Luke 15 in the prodigal son parable. Here's the point, though. If you talk to any Christian, they almost always will say they want to grow in faith, right? I, I still haven't met a Christian who says, no, I don't want to grow. I'm good. I don't need to grow in faith anymore. I got enough faith already. I haven't met a Christian yet, and please, if you um, are one, don't don't tell me that. That might not encourage me, um, and God might lead me to correct you. So, um, we all want to grow in our faith, and we know that means read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 as the children's song says. So we read our Bibles, we say our prayers, we go to church on Sundays. We try not to sin. When we do sin, we ask God for forgiveness. We repent from our sins. We ask the people for forgiveness if we sin against them. And we move on and we try to grow. And sometimes we just ask maybe general prayer prayers. I would discourage this kind of prayer, but sometimes we say at the end of our day before we go to sleep, God, forgive me of all the sins I committed today. In Jesus' name, amen. Without giving a thought to what specific particular sins we might have actually committed that day. But is that what Christian growth is? Read your Bible, pray, ask God to forgive you of all your sins that you committed that day. Is that it? And then you'll grow? Some of us may secretly wonder. We might not want to say this out loud for fear of exposing ourselves. But we might secretly wonder why after years of this Christian living, we haven't grown in our faith that much. If you're wondering that, that's a good thing to wonder. That shows us, that's a sign of life that you're even wondering. 
Part of the reason is because growing in faith in Christ is dynamic and it encompasses all of life. And that's what we're going to look at today. Growing in your faith in Jesus, it's dynamic and it encompasses your day-to-day activities of life. So, the main idea this morning is this, from this text. Jesus helps you in your unbelief. All of you have unbelief somewhere in your soul. I do. You do. Unless you're perfect. So Jesus helps us in our unbelief. He does not leave us to ourselves to fix ourselves. He doesn't say, get it together, PJ. Get it together, First Southern Baptist Church. Fix yourself. You should know better. How long have you been a Christian? That's not how Jesus approaches us. He's not angry and grumpy. He's gracious. He might confront, but he does it in love. And we see that here in this story. So let me recap the story for us as we continue. You know the story, and we'll go, we'll go into it phase by phase in a second. But before we do, just a general recap of the story. Jesus and his disciples come down from the mountain. Three disciples with Jesus. Remember, they just saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus in his full glory. They're on their way down from their mountaintop experience, their spiritual high. Now they're back in the valley. They see the other disciples there arguing with scribes. So Jesus comes. What are you guys arguing about? As he says that, a man comes to him and says, I have brought to you my son who has a demon. Your disciples couldn't cast him out. He grinds his teeth and foams at the mouth. He becomes rigid. Your disciples couldn't do anything. And Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How, how long must I put up with you guys? And then the man says, so they bring the the boy, Jesus says, bring the boy to me. The boy comes before Jesus. The demon sees Jesus, throws the boy on the floor, convulses in front of him. Rolling around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus looks at the dad and says, how long has this been happening to the boy? Since childhood. Since childhood. He throws himself in the fire. He throws himself in water to destroy him. If he can do anything. Please have compassion on us. Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father says, I believe, help my unbelief. And as he says that, help my unbelief, Jesus looks at the boy and he commands and rebukes the unclean spirit to get out of him and never return. The boy convulses more on the floor violently. The demon leaves And the boy looks, he just passes out. He looks like he's dead. People think he's dead. The boy died, they thought. Jesus takes the boy by the hand and resurrects him or raises him, it says in the text. Then Jesus has a private class discussion with his disciples in a home. And they say to him, why weren't we able to cast the demon out? And Jesus says, well, this kind can only be taken out by what? By prayer in verse 29. And that is the story So here's the principle. The principle, at least, and this is not the main, again, the main idea is Jesus is going to help our unbelief. But here's a principle, a theological principle we can draw out from the text. Jesus is powerful and able to accomplish good for us, even over demons, right? Isn't Jesus more powerful than demons? Pretty clear in the text. As we start to study this text more and more, as I started to study this text, I started to realize this isn't about demons primarily. That's not the main point. They're just a prop in this story to teach the main point of growing our faith. But because they're a prop, an important prop, an important part of the story, let me just 
think, let's think about demons just a little bit before we move on to the main, the main point of the, of the text. Demons are real. Demons are real. Let me give you eight, an eight-point summary, just eight statements about demonology, the study of demons, biblically. Demons are fallen, number one, demons are fallen and evil angels who sin against God and who are now continually working evil in the world. Number two, an angel is a created spiritual being with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. So a demon is a fallen angel, an evil angel, but angels are spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence. Number three, Satan is the head of the demons, and he's named Satan in both the Old Testament and New Testament. Number four, Satan was the originator of sin. Sin came from Satan. Number five, demons oppose and try to destroy every work of God because they hate God. Sixthly, demons are limited by God's control and they have limited power. They're more powerful than you and me, but they're not more powerful than God. Seventh, demons are active in the world today. Yes, in the United States and even in the city of angels. Los Angeles, right? Or Los Angeles County. Even in the county of angels, if you like, demons and fallen angels are real and present. Demons actively seek to destroy both Christians and non-Christians. And they're able to influence people to varying degrees. And in this story, we see an extreme case of demonic oppression and demonic influence. So that's, that's what demon, that's a short summary of demonology. Now, today our predicament is desperate and fraught with supernatural danger. We have supernatural danger, danger all around us because demons and angels are real. But you know what? In Los Angeles and in the Western world today, demons, see, if you believe in demons, you seem superstitious. That's sort of like believing in the tooth fairy, right? In secularization and atheism, where there is nothing supernatural and everything is scientific, the, the, e- the easiest thing to laugh at in terms of beliefs of Christians is beliefs in angels and demons. Even Christians don't understand a lot about angels and demons. You know, in the world today, people either deny that demons exist or they minimize their existence, which is increases their effectiveness. When you don't think demons are real or there, they're more effective because they're more subtle. You just made them stealth, right? They just go stealth now because you don't think they're there, but they are. They do interact. Secondly, so you either say demons don't exist and you minimize their reality, or secondly, on this side, people can be overly attentive to demons and make their whole ministry and the whole Christian life about fighting demons. And so they're not informed biblically, and so they don't effectively deal with demonic influence or demonic activity either because they have overemphasized their existence. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And before you became a Christian, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you were under the leadership, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. So if you want to know where, well, where can I see demonic activity? Just look at where the world's going and how the world's thinking. Okay? Both liberal and conservative, if you want to think that way socially in our in our culture. It's not just on one side, by the way. If you ask liberals, the conservatives are, demon, are, are demonized. If you ask conservatives, the liberals are demonized. But if you look biblically, you got to see that there's a plague on both houses in a lot of ways. In different ways, but in, in certain ways. The point is that demons 
are actively swaying the world. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, first of all, thank you for being here. Um, We're glad that you're here this morning. and We hope we can be a blessing to you and help you understand Jesus in any way we can or understand our church. But if you're not a Christian, I want you to know this. Satan wants to keep you unaware of him. He wants, you to keep, he wants to keep you distracted from Jesus so that you never give your life to Jesus. That's, that's the truth. That's the biblical truth. People perceive that their biggest problems in their world are not spiritual, right? Talk to your neighbors. What's the biggest problem in the world today? What's the biggest problem in their lives? It's not a spiritual problem. It's not sin and it's not satanic realities. It's my job. It's my health. Physically, it's my relationship with such and such. And that might be true, but there's a, there's, a, there's a supernatural reality going on in all of our lives. And those are where the biggest problems in our lives are. Not the physical, not the earthly, but the supernatural, the otherworldly, so to speak. And when people are unaware of it, they are left without defense against satanic oppression. Now, if you're a Christian... Here's what you need to realize. And I'm speaking mostly to Christians here, brothers and sisters. You need to realize that Satan wants to devour you. He's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, right? First Peter 5. And his only way to get you, you know how Satan can get you? Through your sin. That's why sin is your biggest enemy. Your own personal sin is your biggest enemy. That's where Satan can get you. If you're not fighting sin in your own life, not the sin of your friends or family or, or your church or your neighbors, not their sin. That's not how Satan gets you. He gets you through your sin. So if you're not aware of your sin, you're a sitting duck to the evil one. Didn't Jesus teach us to pray? Deliver us or lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. And it's really a better translation is the evil one. The evil one. Satan can capture Christians to some degree. Maybe not to straight demon possession. I don't know about that. But Satan can certainly oppress Christians and capture them to some degree. You're saying, Satan can capture Christians? The devil, demons can capture Christians? That's what 2 Timothy 2.24 says. 2 Timothy 2.26 says that some in the church can can, um, can be captured by the devil to do his will. So, Pastors and teachers are, are to, to teach and instruct opponents with gentleness in the church, leading, to them, leading them to repentance, to the knowledge of the truth, so that they might come to their senses and escape the devil's trap. Do you realize that every Christian you greet today, Satan or demons are after them to try to trap them? And the way we can free them is by instructing them with gentleness and patience. There's a spiritual war going on. And here we kind of get together to, to help each other in this battle. Ephesians 4.26 says, says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil a what? A foothold, the King James Version says, or an opportunity. Paul is writing to Christians. Christians can give the devil opportunity in their lives when they're angry and bitter and they let the sun go down on their anger and bitterness. It's true. That's why in the end of Ephesians, Paul says, um, put on the full armor of God so we can stand against the wiles or the tactics of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and world powers of darkness and spiritual forces. You know this? In the New Testament, every New Testament author talks about demons. Every single one. There's not one New Testament author that doesn't mention the demonic. Yet we in our Christian lives rarely think about the demonic. But here's the good news. Who's more powerful than all the demons combined? God is and Jesus Christ is. 
And Jesus just tells this demon to leave. And what does the demon do? He leaves. Colossians 2 says, because Christ died on the cross, canceling our debt. Colossians 2.15 says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly and he triumphed over them. On the cross of Christ, when he died for our sins, Satan and all his demons were defeated. Now all they can do is try to drag us down in our sin, but we have the freedom of forgiveness now. We can be forgiven of all of our sins. That's why the the songwriter writes in Before the Throne of God, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Christ and pardon me. Satan, all he can do is try to make me feel bad. But every time I feel bad, I can go to Christ with repentance and get forgiveness. Every time. Because I'm justified in Christ. And, and therefore, the demons have no teeth, so to speak. Because we can always get forgiveness. So, but, but that's not the main point here of this text. Okay? Long introduction. Don't worry, the points are shorter. But that's not the main point of this text. The main point of this text we can find in verse 19. Look at verse 19. Jesus replied to the man and to the crowd, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? What kind of generation are they? A what? A faithless or unbelieving generation. In other words, what's the issue? Faith. Belief. Will you trust Jesus or will you distrust Jesus? Will you believe or unbelief? Will you have faith, or will you be faithless? That's the burden on Jesus' heart in this story. Where is your faith? That's the issue. And so the man famously prays, I believe, help my unbelief. He got it. He felt his desperation. And you know, when he said, help my unbelief, guess what? Help was already on the way. And then help came. And Jesus helped him, and Jesus will help us too. So here's four ways. Four ways Jesus helps our unbelief. Okay? If you're taking notes, four ways. If you're not taking notes, even just to to follow along, there's four ways Jesus helps our unbelief. I'll tell you the four, and then we'll go through them. Number one, he helps our unbelief by drawing us to him. He draws us. Number two, he helps our unbelief by calling us to pray. Number three, he helps us by answering our prayers. And number four, he helps us by drawing us into deeper faith. Okay? He helps us by drawing us, and then by calling us to pray, and then by answering the prayer, and then in answer to the prayer, we go deeper in our faith. Those are four ways Jesus helps us. And there's a progression here going on. So number one, Jesus helps our unbelief by drawing us to himself. Look at verse 17 again. So here, there's one man in the crowd. He brings Jesus, he says, Teacher, I brought my son to you. The spirit is unable to make him speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Here this man has a desperate predicament. So who's he looking for? Jesus. Guess who's drawing him? Jesus. This man is in a desperate predicament that makes him look outside of himself as a father. Maybe he went to parenting class. Maybe he went to a parenting Sunday school class. They taught him how to shepherd a child's heart, but they never taught him how to cast a demon out of his son. So he realizes he has no resources in himself, so he goes and looks for Jesus. He finds Jesus. He tells Jesus about the situation. 
And then Jesus in verse 19 clarifies what the main issue is. It's not just the demon. It's this generation is unbelieving. This is an unbelieving generation. The issue is faith and belief and trust. And not just claiming to believe, but actually believing. When you get to Matthew 17, same story. The disciples said, why couldn't, I, why couldn't we cast out the demon? And Jesus says, because of your little faith. So did the disciples claim to believe in Jesus? Yes or no? Yes. But were they actually believing in Jesus to the point where they can cast out the demon? No. Claiming to believe is not the same thing as believing. Saying you're a Christian is not the same thing as being a Christian. Jesus is not just after claims. He's not after professions of faith. He's after real faith. A generation that really believes, not just confessionally, but practically. And we'll see how the disciples actually did not believe. There's evidence of it here why they didn't believe in a second. So then the convulsion happens in front of Jesus in verse 20. They bring him and the the boy starts convulsing right in front of Jesus, shaking, foaming at the mouth, rolling around on the ground. Imagine the scene. This is a, you know, if you were there, your, your jaw's on the floor, right? You're stepping back and you're just like, oh my goodness, what, what, what's going to happen here, right? And so your attention is there and Jesus looks at the man and says, how long has this been happening to you? Now, before we get to that, which we'll, we'll focus on for the next point, the point here is this man is in a desperate situation. And when you're desperate, you know who you go to? God. You start to ask questions. And so guess who's drawing you? Jesus Christ is drawing you. That's why you're going to him, because he's drawing you. So here's the first application before we go to point two. Realize that God is drawing you to him this morning. God is drawing you to him this morning, Christian or non-Christian. So here's my question to you. Why are you here this morning? Why'd you come to church today? Well, because I, I always go to church. It's Sunday. That's what I do. That's what I've done ever since I was a little kid. Maybe that's your answer. Why did you go to church today? Well, because I'm a member of this church, PJ, and you expect me to come. True. Maybe that's why you came. Well, maybe I'm here at church today. Maybe your answer is because a friend invited you. Or maybe your answer is, you know what, PJ? I don't know why I'm here today. I just came. Whatever your answer is, guess what? God is drawing you. Your presence here this morning is not an accident. It's not just because you've been here for the last five years. And that's why you're here this morning. You coming this morning is an active work of God to draw you to himself. Do you see that? God wanted you to grow in faith today. That's why he brought you here today. You say, well, I wasn't thinking about that. Well, you might not have been, but guess who? God is a better planner than us. Praise the Lord, right? He has planned to grow you in faith today, so he's drawing you to him. Now, you could take it, and you could take his word, and faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. So you could take the word and grow, or you could reject it. But you are here by God's design because he's drawing you to himself. I hope you realize that. You being here today is not just a habit. It's God's active work in your life today. That's number one. He draws you to himself to grow you in faith. Secondly, how else does he help our unbelief? Not not just by drawing us, but secondly, he helps our unbelief by calling us to pray. That's number two. By calling us to pray. So he gets this man, and how does he call this man to pray? Look at verse 21. He asks the man, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the father, from childhood. And so the man starts to tell his story. Now, get into the shoes of this man. 
Imagine this is your son. Okay? Get into his shoes. This is your son. He has a demon, and the demon is oppressing and dominating your son. Ever since childhood. You're drained and exhausted. Not just physically, emotionally, right? Spiritually, you're drained. What else can I do? I prayed. Go to synagogue. What else can I do? So he goes to Jesus. Jesus says, what's the situation? My son has an evil spirit, a demon, and it makes him mute and unable to speak. At other times, he cries out. It says in Luke 9. The demon throws him violently on the dirt. My son gets bruised. He gets these welts all over his body because he throws himself on rocks. He cuts himself as he falls down. He starts rolling around. <sighs> Help. He gets his, 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 you know, he gets bruises and swelling up everywhere. Sometimes the demon will even take my son, Lord. We're cooking a meal and he'll put his face on the stove and burn his face. The demon will try to kill him. We have a campfire. We're trying to roast marshmallows. He jumps in the fire. We got to hold him back whenever we're cooking our food. Sometimes we go to the beach. We go to the lake to swim. He jumps in the water and then he becomes rigid and can't swim and just sinks. We got we to gotta pull him out of the water. Wherever we go, we got to watch him. He has no friends. Everyone pushes him away because he convulses. Foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth. Sometimes he bites his tongue. His tongue starts to bleed. We can't control him. He has epilepsy. Sometimes he sees the kids playing and I could tell he wants to play, but they don't want to play with him. When we're at the store, we're buying stuff. They see how rigid his body is and you can hear people whispering as they stare at my son. Doctors can't do anything. Psychologists and psychiatrists are confounded and confused. Religious teachers, they tell me they pray for me, but he's still where he is. Even your disciples. I mean, I heard that your disciples were casting out demons when you sent them out two by two, and then you sent out another 72, and and they were casting out demons everywhere. When I brought my son to your your disciples, they were confident that they could cast him out because they said they casted out many demons. I brought my son, and even your disciples couldn't cast him out. What do I do now? Feel his desperation? He's desperate. And so he prays in verse 22. 22 is a prayer request. It's a very weak prayer request, but it's a prayer request. What's his prayer request? If you can, what? If you can do, if you can do anything, please what? Here's the request. Have what? Have compassion on us and help us. You understand the prayer request if you're a parent? We get that. Yeah, help us, please. Then Jesus challenges the man's prayer request. If you can. Now, some people might read it, if you can, as if Jesus is like ticked off with a man. We don't know. I, I don't want to read it that way. Personally, I, I think he's just more like like making him hear, hear yourself again. If you can. Do you hear what you're saying, sir? If you can. Do you know who I am? Again, it's not a sharp rebuke. Jesus is about to help. He does have compassion. But he is, he's reflecting on the man. Do you know who I am? Think again before you ask, if you can, who am I? Who do you think I am? And then he, and then he gives him a word. Uh, he says in verse 23, everything is possible for the one who what? 
beliefs. Now, that's not a blanket statement to say, oh, great, I get a new car next week because everything is possible to the one who believes. I'll get a billion dollars next week because I believe. That's not what the point is. Who are you believing in? Here, if you can, who's Jesus pointing to? Himself. Do you believe in me? Now, if Jesus promises you a billion dollars, then, hey, it's up to him to fulfill it. But he doesn't promise me that, and it's not in the Bible. But he can do everything he promises to do if you trust in him. So everything is possible for the one who believes. And then the man, this is a call to prayer. Jesus is calling this man a prayer. You're desperate. Not only are you desperate, do you know who I am? Everything is possible to the one who believes. And the man changes his prayer request. First, his prayer request was, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now what is his prayer request? In verse 24. Help my unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. His prayer request shifts. And that's where it needs to shift. You know why? Because Jesus is after the man's faith. Do you know who I am? Do you trust me? Do you hear my words? Everything is possible to the one who believes. Do you trust my words? Because faith comes by hearing my words. I've drawn you here with this desperate predicament. Now you're seeing me and you're hearing my words. Are you going to trust them now in prayer? I'm calling you to pray to me based on who you understand me to be and what you understand me to say. Are you trusting me, my identity, and my words? If you are, then pray. And the man does. I do believe. A little bit. Help my unbelief. I got a lot of unbelief. Help me. And that Jesus can work with. Jesus can work with humility. He can't work with pride and arrogance. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Impenitence, unrepentance, thinking your faith is big when it's not, God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And this man humbles himself here. And so, that's what that's the call to prayer. That's his prayer. Now, before we finish with prayer on point two, look at verse 28, or verse 29. So the, the disciples ask, why couldn't we drive it out? In verse 28, verse 29, Jesus says, this kind can come out by nothing but what? Prayer, but by prayer. So again here, Jesus is implicitly calling his disciples to do what? Do more what? Do, do more prayer. That's why they couldn't cast out the demons. Now, this is important for us to, to get to my application. So I need everyone to look up here for a second and, and just think about this. The disciples were able to cast out demons. Dozens of demons, they've cast it out. But this time they couldn't cast it out. Why? They didn't pray. And you think, why didn't they pray? Well, Jesus is saying because they didn't believe. If they didn't believe in Jesus, what did they believe in? Here's where, here's application for us right now. They believed in themselves. They've, who gave them the power to cast out demons originally? Jesus did. They trusted in that power. Jesus says, here's authority, go cast out demons. They do it. They keep doing it so often that they stop trusting in Jesus, and now who are they trusting in? Themselves. I've done this all my life. And when you start to trust yourself, you stop trusting in Jesus. As one commentator said, spiritual power is not something which once possessed will always be available. They had taken for granted, one commentator writes, they had taken for granted the power given to them or had come to believe that it was inherent in them so they no longer depended prayerfully on God for it and their failure showed their lack of faith. How do you know they didn't trust? Because they didn't pray, which meant they weren't trusting God, they were trusting in themselves. The dad is called to pray, the disciples are called to pray, you are called to pray, I am called to pray. You know what the temptation for pastors are? 
I've preached all my life. Well, maybe not all my life. I've preached for 13 years now. Every week for 13 years. Maybe I could just come up and preach again. I've done it before. You stop relying on God. You start relying on your experience, your gifts, or what God gave you in the past. And you stop trusting God. You stop praying to God. And you lean on your own power. Christian, are you self-reliant? Are you praying ritualistically? Or are you feeling your utter helplessness and desperation when you pray? There is a difference, you know. On the one end, you just do it to say your prayer for the day where you just get a little bit of God in your life. The other one, you desperately need God and you want him so bad that you can't stop praying. Parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents here. I want to address you brothers and sisters for a second. Grandparents and great-grandparents particularly. Is sin really too strong for your grandchildren and great-grandchildren? Is Satan really too strong for them? Is the demonic sway of this world insurmountable? Have your words of prayer to God fallen on deaf ears? Have you been so discouraged over the years and decades of the lack of spiritual response in your grown children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren that your faith has evaporated? Jesus is calling you to believe in him. And he's calling you to pray desperately. And the desperation of your prayer is the measurement of your faith. What about our church family? Are we desperate when we gather together as a church family? You know, the one command about church gatherings is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, where it says, let us consider how to stir each other up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So still gather on Sundays. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but, incur- but um, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know why you're supposed to be here at church on Sundays if you're a Christian? To encourage each other. And to provoke each other to love and good works. That's what you're supposed to do. Hopefully last night or this morning you prayed, Lord, I'm supposed to provoke people to love and good works today. That's why I go to church. That's why you told me to go. And I'm desperate for you. Please help me to do it. Because if you don't help me, I'm just going to coast in what I'm, my habits and I won't trust in you. Imagine what the church would be like if everyone were desperately praying that God would use them to encourage other people on a Sunday. Would anyone want to miss a Sunday? I wouldn't. Everyone's praying to encourage each other and they're desperately praying? Churches that are unhealthy, and I would say this about myself personally as a church member, I don't pray every week desperately, God, I'm going to see some people, I'm going to go greet people during the greeting time. Please help me to have your spiritual power to be a blessing and an encouragement that when they talk to me at the door, I provoke them to love and good works. God, use me to encourage some brothers and sisters in our church family and some attenders today. Imagine if we prayed desperately because we knew that if God didn't help, we wouldn't be encouraging anyone. That would be amazing. And that's what God's telling us. Do you feel desperate for the Spirit's help when we close in prayer and you start greeting each other on the way out? Do you feel like you need His help or you say, I got this. I've been a church member for a long time. I know what I'm doing. We need desperate prayer. As a church family, we need it. That's why we pray on Sunday nights. We pray on Sunday nights because we're desperate for God's help as a church family. Now, I know some of you can't make it on Sunday nights because God sends you elsewhere. So I don't want to give a false guilt trip. 
But for those of you who are available on Sunday nights, I don't want to give a false guilt trip. I want to give a true guilt trip. Maybe not a true guilt trip, but I just want to speak truth. Here's the truth. If you're a member of this church and you're committed to this church and God is not sending you elsewhere on Sundays, I think God is sending you here to pray with us. But I'm not just saying, I don't want you to come just because I told you to. I want you to come because you feel desperate that God needs to work in our church. And if we don't pray, we don't have faith. And if we don't have faith, God will not move. Do you feel desperate? We need to. Third, okay, so Jesus helps us by drawing us. He helps us by calling us to pray. By the way, if you're not a Christian, God wants you to pray too. He wants you to feel your desperation. Number three, Jesus helps our unbelief by answering the prayer. What does he do to the demon here in verse 25? He casts out the demon. The boy convulses even more violently, which kind of gives us a clue that when you're attacking Satan and his kingdom, sometimes things get worse before they get better. Have you ever experienced that? You know, sometimes people become a Christian and they think all their problems are going to go away. They become a Christian and say, man, life is harder now than when I was not a Christian. That happens sometimes. Because when you're, when, you're, when you're affecting change and when God is changing your heart and sin is being taken out or being attacked, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. And that's what happened to this boy. This was the most violent attack the demon was ever able to give to the boy. He wanted one last attempt to kill the boy. Obviously, he can't succeed because he can't defeat Jesus. And so the boy looks like a corpse in verse 26. Jesus takes him by the hand and raises him, just like he took that dead girl by the hand and raised her. Again, it's an allusion to the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection power that not only raises the dead, but casts out demons. So here's the application of point number three. Jesus answered their prayer. What does that mean for us? If you're a Christian... I want, you should be able to answer this. And I, I, I can't answer this, so I'm convicting myself here. Can you name the last four prayer requests that God answered in your life? Can you answer four specific prayer requests, the last four specific prayer requests you prayed that God answered in your life? Here's my application to you. You need to notice when he answers your prayers. When you don't notice, you can't grow in faith. When he answers your prayer, you say, God, you answered my prayer. Thank you. And guess what that does to your faith? It increases. It helps your unbelief. But when you don't notice an answer to prayer, you don't grow in faith. Because he's answering prayers left and right and we don't even notice. It's like water off a duck's back. No joy, no gratitude because we are unaware. And so our faith, instead of growing, it shrinks. It shrivels up. And it's not because God's not answering. It's because we are not noticing. So look for ways God is answering your prayer and take note. As a church family, we've been praying for God to add 20 family units to our church in 2015. How many has he added? I think we had six. 14 more to go. He might say no, but we are going to notice whether he answers it or not. And we are going to praise God and grow in faith with whatever he does there among the other prayer requests we have. If you're not a Christian, you need to notice that God has been kind to you even in bringing you here to hear about Jesus. Okay, that's the third one. Jesus helps us by answering our prayers. Lastly, Jesus helps our unbelief by drawing us in deeper faith. And this is really what I said about noticing prayer. When God answers your prayer and you notice it, you get drawn closer to God in faith. Right? So notice the pattern. I just gave you a pattern. Point number one was Jesus draws you. When he draws you, he calls you to what? Pray. When you pray, what does he do? He answers your prayer. When he answers your prayer, what do you grow in? Faith, and when you grow in faith, you're going to pray more because he's drawing you closer. When you pray more, 
That's another call to prayer. When he answers that prayer, what happens to your faith? It grows and he draws you in again. When he draws you in again, what do you do? You pray. When you pray, what does he do? He answers it. When he answers it, what do you do? You grow closer to him in faith and you're drawing in for more prayer. And guess what's happening to your unbelief? You're getting help. I believe. Help my unbelief. I'll help you. Pray. And I'll answer. And then notice it. And then keep praying. Do you get it? You see how God grows us in our faith? He's helping this man in his unbelief. And he's calling you this morning to help you in your unbelief. It's the faith, prayer, faith cycle. It begins with God drawing us and praying. And guess what? If God keeps answering our prayers and we stop praying, we are not believing. So, in other words, sometimes we we get used to the Christian ministry so much that we stop praying. That's not faith anymore. That's faith in yourself. That's the the slippery slide from faith in Jesus to faith in yourself. And the way you'll notice is every time God answers your prayer, does that make you pray more or less? See, we misinterpret answers to prayer. I do. When, I, when God answers my prayer, I say, oh, I guess I did it. And I'm not trusting him. I'm actually looking at myself and I become less prayerful. So if you're growing in faith, you should be growing in prayer, in desperation and specificity. Write down your prayer requests, brothers and sisters, and pray and stand in wonder as God answers your prayers in the name of Jesus Christ. And why can Jesus answer our prayers? Let's answer Jesus' question as we close. I'm done. But let's close with, with, with Jesus here. Let's look at Jesus one last time as his beauty. Verse 19. Let's answer his question. You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? What's the answer to that question? How long will Jesus be with them? Only until he what? Here on earth. How long was Jesus with them? Until what? Until he died. That's the answer. How long will he put up with them? Until he dies on the cross. Because when he dies on the cross... He pays for all of their unbelief. He pays for all of their distrust. He pays for all of their sins so that he can be patient with them. You see, Jesus is the one we trust and pray to. We pray in his name to be delivered from our desperate predicament. You know why? Because Jesus first took our place in the desperate predicament. Jesus went on the cross and that was the most desperate, helpless, oppressed of all predicaments, right? He went under the wrath and judgment of God by the satanic workings of Satan on Pilate and Herod and the Jewish crowd and the Romans to crush Jesus. And when he prayed, God did not answer his prayer with a yes. Father, let this cup be passed from me. No. Why not? Because when this cup is drunk by you and you take the wrath, my wrath for their sins, I can answer their prayers with a yes. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Because God answers our prayers with a yes. Not always, but often. And always for our good. Because he punished Jesus in our place by saying no to his prayer. If you're not a Christian, I close with this. God wants you to trust in Jesus. Jesus died for all sinners and rose from the dead so that if you would turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. God made you. He made all of us. We're all under his accountability. And because we're sinners, we all deserve hell. All of us do. But God sent Jesus to die for you and rise for you and give you his righteousness so that if you repent, if, not everyone's going to heaven, not everyone's saved, 
But if you would this morning turn from your sins and turn from your righteousness and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, God will save you. And he'll answer that prayer even this morning. So call out to the Lord to save you from your sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for helping us with our unbelief. We just want to echo what the Father prayed here, this dad, because that's how we feel. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to feel desperate. Take the calluses off my heart and our hearts. We're so used to this Christian thing that um, we've become insensitive to our desperation, to your answers to our prayer, and to the help for our unbelief. Help our unbelief, we pray, Father. Make us a church that believes, not for our glory. Make us a church that feels so badly how weak we are and how impotent we are and how, how helpless we are and how powerless we are to bear fruit apart from you. Help us to feel our weakness and help us to glory in our weakness because in our weakness, your power is perfected. So make us a faith, a faith exercising, believing, trusting, prayerful church. And then answer our prayers, Father, that our church might grow in faith. Answered prayer request after answered prayer request after answered prayer request. All to the glory of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.